On tonight's episode, we are talking about 1981's Miss 45, a gritty New York revenge flick uh, that has been described by critics as a combination of repulsion and death wish. And I feel like that's a pretty apt description. This is going to be our first Abel Ferreira movie that we're going to be talking about. And Pat and I are coming at it from kind of two ends of the spectrum. So it'll be interesting to see how this all hashes out by the end of this episode. So uh, we hope you enjoy this season finale episode of Midnight Flicks. Netflix, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late night purgatory. I am your host for tonight, Adam Walker, and joining me as always on this cinematic expedition is my good friend, Patrick Mitchell. How's it going, Pat? Haven't talked to you in a while. We've been uh, been, been been a little more loosey-goosey with things. So We're really limping to the finish line here. <laughs> That's all right. Not in like a bad way and nothing has uh, uh objectively happened to either one of us we're just kind of coming to the the end of season one and we kind of just got lazy with uh when we recorded and whatever yeah. who gives a fuck <laughs> yeah because that's really it no one gives a fuck no and and we're just you know it's self-care we're just being easy on ourselves we were we we hit it hard for now it's been what five months? Yeah, five months of recording, pretty much every week. Yeah, I'm we, deserve, we deserve it a little. We deserve break. it, and maybe at the end of this episode, we will uh, we can have a uh, a, a, a verbal uh, discussion as to what what the next venture might look like until we return to a second season of this. Yeah, and I'm excited to, you know, kind of regroup 
and recalibrate what we've been doing here. Um, I feel like what we've done so far has been a success, given the fact that we went into it completely, you know, unexperienced, no podcast experience really before this. No, you know, we just kind of have been learning as we go. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Thank you. The round of applause. Thank you. We're really taking, taking the pod by the reins. Uh, um, so yeah well yeah you as well right back at you babe (laughs) wink and uh, so the last couple episodes you've been doing and you kind of have been doing uh, this thing where you just kind of do a we just kind of have our own like initial thoughts off the top off the top kind of get the gears turning about the movie that we're talking to talking about for that that particular episode so i will stick with that format this is my first time doing that Um, so yeah so off the top let's you know let's have a little tete as i say about mr 45 this was your um sorry like i said in the beginning this was our first abel ferreira this wasn't your first Abel Ferreira, but we've talked either on on a hot mic or off hot mic, either way, about how you you're not a fan of Abel, despite the fact that you've seen King of New York and you like that, but the addiction that one just sullied any of your perception about Mister Ferreira's. Uh, Ouvre uh, is his. Yeah, I've only seen um, the addiction and King of New York, and it really took me a long time to even get to see King of the New York. I hated the addiction that much. Yeah, <laughs> despite uh, a lot of qualifiers, I feel like like Lily Tom, like uh, um, um, trying to think of Christopher Walken, obviously. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but everything on paper, I was like, oh, this is, uh, this is like right up my alley. Um, and for various reasons, I, I just absolutely Lily Taylor. I didn't mean Lily Tomlin, Lily Taylor for walking. Um, and, uh, for whatever reason that really, really soured me on him. And then I watched, uh, King of New York and it, it was it was uh, good. I thought it was a lot better than The Addiction. It's a totally different movie. Um, didn't think it was like mind, like mind blowingly good or anything. I just thought it was like good. Like I had a good time watching it. Um, you'll be happy to note that I loved tonight's movie. I thought it was great. I absolutely fucking yeah. loved it. I thought it was just phenomenal. Um, that's good i'm very very happy to hear that it's gotten better and better um (laughs) probably probably this is uh a catalyst for possibly watching bad lieutenant definitely watching bad lieutenant Mm -hmm. um and maybe uh driller killer um because this was this was what i what i wanted to get out of it and what i wanted to get out of uh, a filmmaker such as himself. So just off the top, I thought it was, I, I loved it. And I, I'd never seen this movie before. This is obviously your 
your choice this this week. So my first time, but you've seen it numerous times, I would imagine. Yeah, I have. It's and after this last watch, it just kind of reconfirmed for me how much I love the movie. And it's really becomes more and more all the time. One of my favorite movies, actually. And the thing about Ferreira that you will find as you get more and more into his movies is he has obviously, you know, he has that distinct like gritty New York eighties patina, late seventies, eighties patina to his style, but he's able to plug in a variety of different stories and characters into that kind of template. So he's not a one trick pony. That's the thing. He has horror movies. He has, you know, thrillers. He has gangster movies, you know, he dramas. And so he's, to me, he's a very talented director, a very versatile director. And this was one of his earlier movies. And it's, it's, it's one of those movies too, where you can very distinctly see the influences that he is making nods to throughout the whole movie, but he's able to, again, just kind of patch them together in a way that's distinctly his own style. So, yeah, absolutely. And I thought yeah. it was, um, a predecessor to a lot of stuff you would see, um, a little later down the road it's not it's like not a i so i was actually um a little thrown off base because i was expecting more of a straight ahead rape revenge kind of thing yeah and it kind of it it really outside of like the opening it doesn't really go go there very much at all it turns into almost like a um a straight a straight up down the down the middle kind of exploitation movie. It's like very much so just an exploitation movie instead of like a sexploitative uh, rape revenge movie because the rape is like almost inconsequential. I mean, it's the catalyst for everything she she does uh, as like a vigilante, but like it's not uh, it, you're, the rape isn't put in there for like. Uh, appeal or like you know for for the male gaze to like kind of get off on which is a lot of the weird rape revenge that would come later in the 70s and 80s was kind of sexploitative in that way where the the rape right. was almost too graphic and and like full bore nudity and all that whereas this is there was almost no nudity in it yeah exactly so that being said, I don't, you know, I don't want to get into it too much before we get into the meat of the podcast here. So, do you have anything else you want to talk about? I'm glad that glad to hear that you liked it. That will make this, you know. <laughs> either way, if you hated it, it would still be fun. But for yeah. me, it'll 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 make it, uh, <laughs> you know, an enjoyable uh, topic of discussion and, uh, that you uh, you know came around a little bit more to able with this one so no, i i have uh i didn't do any sort of um, research or reading on it so i'm excited to learn more about it too 
All right. Well, okay. So, synopsis of this movie, in case you didn't already kind of gather, is um, uh, there's a a young, shy, mute seamstress um, who has to put it mildly, a spectacularly bad day where she is assaulted not once, but twice uh, after leaving work. She's assaulted by a man in an alley on her way home from work. And then she's assaulted by a burglar in her home um, again. And she is able to dispatch that burglar um, uh, and Essentially, uh, from there on, we see, depending on how you look at it, the downward spiral or the transformation of the lead, Uthana, into a, uh, a just a spirit of vengeance, essentially. She becomes, a, she goes on a murderous rampage and throughout the course of, you know, I, I'm, I'm assuming a few days just turns into this uh, killing machine <laughs> from, yeah. you know, yeah. this uh, this tra- this highly traumatic experience just catalyzes her into, you know, this almost bloodthirsty assailant uh, vigilante. Um, and Thana is played by uh, Zoe Lund and Zoe Lund. I don't know a whole lot about her, but I've researched her enough because she was in this movie and she's in Bad Lieutenant. So she's obviously, you know, a a cohort of Ferreras. But she seems like she had an incredibly interesting life. She's a very interesting individual and really like a very beautiful woman, um, very distinctly beautiful woman. Um, So, yeah. So and, you know her playing this role. And I think this is like one of her first movies she, she did. She just knocked it out of the park essentially. So, um, but yeah, so that's the gist of it with that. Um, and so why don't we just go ahead and get into it then? We'll get into the, the, the stuff that we liked, the stuff we didn't like. And there's stuff that we probably have some questions about the good, the bad and the questionable. Here we go. music okay <laughs> all right so now typically when i well I, I i developed a system uh through doing this podcast over time where i actually would divide up my good bads and questionables i kind of didn't do it this time i just kind of like you know went back to just like my old way of just kind of randomly jotting thoughts down sure. but um so hopefully this will run fairly smoothly. Um, goods right off the top. So her uh, nailing the rapist in the head with a clothing iron is pretty sick. Mm-hmm. So it's right off the bat. It gets pretty brutal, um, you know, and um, as we said 
in the beginning, I had read like somebody, some critic had basically said that this was like death wish meets repulsion. And as I said, also, this is where you can see the influences being very distinct to me. This movie is like a combination of Polanski and Scorsese um, wrapped up into one movie. Yeah, so, I definitely see that. You know, so those are two of my favorite directors and Abel Ferreira is one of my favorite director. So the fact that he was able to draw from both of those uh, individual style and make it into his own um, is really cool. And to me, like this movie is essentially the premise of repulsion, but taken to its almost logical extreme. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so because with with the with the circumstances in the circumstances uh, with repulsion, um, Catherine Deneuve character, Catherine Deneuve's character, she obviously she unravels throughout the course of the movie, but she is overtaken by her own insanity in such a way that it it disables her from necessarily transcending the trauma that she has endured. Whereas with Donna, it's a whole, it's like the opposite. She takes her trauma and she is galvanized by it to, you know, turn around and, you know, say, fuck this, (laughs) fuck the world. You know, I'm going to go out with a fucking, you know, with a bang, um, with this one. Um, She's more productive with her. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. She's definitely, yeah, she's very, she's more proactive with her trauma. And in that sense, I feel like, so, I mean, that's the thing, you know, people will look at this and be like, well, you know, this character shouldn't be a role model, but in certain ways to me, it's like, I feel like she is, um, you know, it's just, but the fact is what happens is, she I think, you know, she she gets um, she enjoys the act of killing too much by the end of this, that it just it spins out of control. She's too overcome, uh, you know, by her own internal chaos, whereas like up to that point, it's like it was like up to you, up to the point where you get to the end and that final scene, um, her attacks are more calculated and measured in certain ways. She's like being more cautious, I suppose. And like, they're more directed at specific subjects. Whereas at the end, it's just like all hell breaks loose. You know, nobody is innocent essentially. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, well, let me hand it off to you for a second. Cause you know, obviously like I've talked about what I like about this movie right off the top. Let, let me hear more about what you, what you liked about sure, it. Sure. Okay. Um, the, the imagery of her in the nun outfit posing with the gun, like when yeah. she was dressing up for that Halloween party. So it, that actually was going to be the next thing I did say. So, so oh, go yeah. ahead. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, it feels really iconic. I feel like it, it yes. feels like something I've seen before or seen in a montage of examples of film in school uh i it felt like it felt very familiar um 
it, it just feels like if you were to put together a highlight reel of Abel Ferreira's career, that 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 scene or that shot would be would be in there. Um, yeah, not, it's crazy. A, right. Yeah, that scene's great, and she's essentially she's like blessing each bullet <laughs> before yeah, she I puts them it. in her gun. I loved it. Yeah, that, and that's, that whole scene is great. Yeah, and that's where I want to like again. That's like to me. This is the word I was trying to come up with when I wanted to describe. That's like the apotheosis of what she becomes. She, <laughs> and that's what's funny to me. And that, this is kind of more like in the questionable category, I guess. Is you know, it is funny to me that this very shy, awkward young woman, in the course of a few days, essentially like is able to figure out how to be just like an assassin. <laughs> so yeah. You know, yeah, that so would be I, questionable as well. Right. Obviously, there's like a little bit of suspension of disbelief there. Um, but, you know, whatever. Um, what I wanted to say a little bit more was, again, and when we talk about like movies like Maniac and Maniac Cop and stuff like this, I guess this is a recurring thing for me is I, I do like this era of c- cinema that is a snapshot of New York during that time. Now. The first time I went to New York was in the late 90s. So by that time, it was well on its way to becoming not what it was then. You know, so I personally never was able to, you know, live through what New York was like at that time. And, you know, obviously, I feel like a lot of it is romanticized, you know, at this point, because. New York in the 70s and 80s was a shithole. <laughs> yeah, but, crime rate right. through the roof, murder rate through the roof. Done, right. Not really safe places to live. Exactly. It was, It was. you know, essentially a warring third world region. But, you know, we got a lot of good art and a lot of good you know, movies and things like that from it. So, you know, when you look at it through that, you know, retrospective lens, um, you're able to have the, the luxury of the safe distance of viewing it. And, you know, and, and it, you know, it has a charm to it. And this is one of those movies that really points that out that <laughs> all the, the, the scummy sleaziness of it, you know, when it is, you know, put, in a cinematic format it properly under the, you know, under capable hands gives it a feeling that is enjoyable. And there's a lot of that in this movie. Like, just like, you know, the, just the fact that like, you know, yeah, if you walk through New York at that point or most cities, but like New York, there's going to be a bunch of sleazy fucking dudes that are just going to cat call you all the way up and down the street. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's reasonable that there would be some shitty rockabilly guy <laughs> just hanging out at the bodega that's going to be like, hey, girl, hey, girl, hey, where are you going? <laughs> you know, and then and ironically, that guy like that was where the that's where the movie turns because right. he's the first person that's like innocently killed. And you're kind of like, well, what the fuck is going on like that? But it's an honest mistake because the due to the the traumatic events that right. she's already gone through, 
she sees a, a guy running up to her at at the end of an alley, and he's just trying yeah. to return that bag of body parts. But like from her perspective, she's running up on her, or he's running up on her. So that, but then after that, there's definitely innocent people that that get it. Yeah, for sure, and. So that was going to be my next thing that I wanted to talk about. And I kind of mentioned this to my partner because my partner is from New York. She was born there and she lived there until she was 18. So, you know, there is the scene where Donna just takes the the she's she's taking the body parts of the dismembered burglar. I guess we kind of like jumped over that a little bit, but that's what she's doing is after she kills the guy in her apartment with the iron, she dismembers this person um, in her bathtub, stores the body parts in her fridge, and then just through uh, throughout the week is dropping off and dispatching the parts in various ways, you know, and one of those is like you said, she has, well, before before she meets the rockabilly guy, she drops out just a hand or something in a trash can. And I asked Charlotte, I was like, I was like, how often do you think, you know, you, when you were walking down the street in New York, that, that you know, you pass a trash can, that there might have just been, you know, a straight dismembered body part, you know. Oh, God, I, more often than you would think, I would imagine. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but what I wanted to say also is about the, the dismemberment and also in relationship to repulsion, which the differences being here, the, the subtle differences, Donna immediately has the wherewithal to be able to like more efficiently and cleanly de- de- deal with her victim, dismember her victim. Whereas if you remember repulsion, it's a very sloppy thing. Like, she doesn't know what she's doing. She's just, you know, going haywire on this guy. And then she just kind of dumps him in the bathtub and just leaves him there. <laughs> and then just yeah, she doesn't know where to go from there. And her, her sanity just erodes more and more. Whereas Donna, Donna is efficient. She, she kills the guy. She's like, all right, what do I do? Puts him in the bathtub, cuts him up, puts down newspaper, makes sure that she keeps, you know, her area clean and disposes of the body parts in a way that's very methodical. So she's so she's like a, she's like female Jeffrey Dahmer. She's Jennifer, (laughs) Jennifer Dahmer without the big blue container to kind of expedite a, a mass burial because she is perpetually cleaning up after her first murder. Right, like she's throughout the movie trying to dispatch of the first guy that she killed, which is which is one of her rapists, and is uh, has once dismembered and and neatly packed away into her fridge, has to slowly, you know, dispatch him throughout the city while also racking up body count outside of her apartment. Right. Which brings me to the to another good kill um, that I did have listed. <laughs> I really love the scene where she just obliterates that photographer in his studio. Yeah, he, <laughs> he really gets set up to have it come in there for a while. <laughs> you really want it. You really want it bad for him. Which that um, it's hard to. It, 
like none of these none of these actresses or actors are like even have an imdb like yeah i don't even couldn't catch like uh, character names very easily but the the co-worker with the short brown hair i think her name might be Lori. i'm not positive but yeah. she's like the loudmouth co-worker uh she was also one of my favorite uh, parts in the movie she's got to be in the movie for like seven collective minutes but then every time she's on screen i'm like she's the only person that distracts me enough away from zoe's zoe lund's performance enough to be like oh everyone shut the fuck up like the co-worker is talking again but she when she gives it to him in the diner and she's just like fuck off get fucked you fucking wimp I, when, she says, <laughs> when she calls him a fucking wimp and just tells him to get bent like that that whole scene was so fucking good. I loved her telling him off. And every scene with her is just, I was like captivated with that coworker. She's like not even in the movie very, very much. Um, but I loved her. That was one of my favorite characters. Yeah. And I'm sure given the circumstances, uh, budgetary circumstances and whatnot, that, you know, those people, they don't have much of a career beyond that because they're probably just all Abel's friends. You know, yeah. he just kind of collected them together to make this movie. Or um, I feel like this is kind of, I guess, a, a precursor to things like, say, like the Safty brothers have done where they just pick people like they pick local. Oh, my God. That Asian character. couple that's like making outside of like a TCBY or like, yeah. like a Safty movie. They're yeah. so bad. Like the acting is so bad <laughs> between those two. She's like, I gotta go back to my TCBY shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it definitely yeah. has that vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, this doesn't age well, obviously, but I do love the idea of a lot of New York movies from the eighties uh, having the uh the ever present what i think is quote unquote the puerto rican gang members <laughs> oh, yeah yeah so and 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 that's the thing not only that but a lot of movies from new york at this time the gang members relative to what you know gangs became known for later on at least street gangs like are pretty tame in terms of any sort of violence like they never have actual guns or anything it's always just hand hand-to-hand combat type of stuff you know and so particularly with this one there's the nunchuck guy i love a good nunchuck guy yeah you bring that to a fight that, that's, a, that's a fucking wild weapon it's like you you always you can always expect in these circumstances guys with headbands, guys with switchblades, and probably a martial arts dude, quote unquote. So you know you got the nunchuck guy in this one, um, which brings me to that scene, which is so sick, is that town like kind of city center city uh, square. What the where, fuck was that? That I was like, so confused. Like it was like a meeting of the, the fucking, I don't like, know. Yeah. Like the riffs or like the rogues, like, you know, yeah. Some fucking warrior gang decides to descend upon. Oh, so was it, that was my confusion. It was one gang. It, yeah. It I'm, felt like the leaders of 
like multiple it looked like uh, a weird like g7 committee of gangs like I, I didn't understand what was going on there maybe i'm just assuming what happened was it was just a certain gang's turf and there's a woman walking by herself you know dressed you know very um alluringly and they're just like oh well you know, obviously this is fresh meat. So they're going to, you know, they're, they're coming in for the kill and they got more than they can bargain for. And that whole scene is so amazing because she plays it so cool. That's where like, that's the part where you're like, Oh, she's completely transformed into her assassin mode. And she just takes them all out. And then there's that one last final move where she just does the behind the back maneuver and and shoots the one gang member that's still kind of kicking around. It's so sick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I did like it. It was just weird. And again, yeah, it's another one of those iconic scenes where you're just like, fuck man, that's so cool. Um, the car ride with the Sheik, I also like. Where that also felt um, very like film schooly to me. Like I felt like that scene and the nun scene, I feel like, was shown to me in film school. Uh, that I just I, I have no other placement for it other than I don't know why I would have seen either one of those scenes ever again. Yeah, I don't know. Just other than, yeah, they're they're really iconic. It's kind of, again, and those were very, to me, that in particular was a very Scorsese and nod, you know, where it's just like just this very tense, um, any, this could go any way kind of moment in a car <laughs> where yeah, it's just absolutely. like, you know, these guys think – that they basically, you know, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to uh, essentially, you know, pay this woman or take advantage of her. And then she plays it off like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Totally. You know, so she leads him on just to like, you know, unbeknownst to him, of course, just get just, you know, point blank shot right in the fucking dick. In the back yeah, of a car. That's so good. Yeah, that was that's a great scene. Um, she feeds the uh, the neighbor's dog with uh, the 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 burglar. That's yeah, great. I love that too. I also <laughs> was thinking when you mentioned the the homeless person finding the hand, I would have loved some a little bit of like slapstick comedy if he just put that fucking hand in between like two pieces of rye and we're just like, like <laughs> yeah. walked off like fuck i got like a hand sandwich like it's like, like yeah like a street trash moment or yeah, something yeah like really yeah that would have been fucking perfect um so you know i always like to talk about the music in a movie if i think the soundtrack's pretty cool this is another one where i really really like the soundtrack particularly i like that final party band um theme yeah, that's kind of good to you so this is kind of getting into the trivia a little bit, but that band is comprised of the guy who, what's his name? Let me look at it here. Um, Joe Delia. Joe Delia is the composer for this uh, movie, and he's, that's his band, basically. Oh, wow. That's and cool. 
there's something about that song that is very hypnotic and really like becomes like an earworm like stuck in your head and it's just like it's essentially the same line being played over and over and over like way longer than it should and that adds to the kind of like surreality and i think kind of like um unease of the moment because it's like it's almost like it's 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 out of time in a certain way it's 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 or it's like there's a certain um i guess other dimensionality to that whole scene yeah it is very very weird hypnotic is a good word yeah it's like it's like almost like the like a star wars cantina moment where it's just like there's the band playing in the background (laughs) but i really like that that theme and it reminds me of and i don't know how much you're familiar with this but there was a particular um era and scene of music from new york called no wave and no, no wave. Yeah, no it. no wave. So bands like Swans came out of the no wave scene and essentially no wave was this reaction to the new wave scene and what was seen as the commodification and co-opting of punk music or um uh art art um, confrontational music and no wave and it's it's progenitors kind of was taking that to the logical extreme so it was it was in many ways very aggressive again confrontational atonal music and a lot of times it relied on jazz elements um there's bands like uh james chance and the contortions lydia lunch and the uh or teenage jesus and the jerks which was led by lydia lunch mars DNA, the cramps kind of came out of that scene. So I feel like Abel definitely was tapped into that. And I think like I read, like he said, he wanted, he wanted the music to sound modern. And in that way, as it is like, it's obviously like that music, it is, it's melodic. It's not atonal, but because of the repetitive aspect to it, it almost, it, it lends itself to being a no wave sort of thing because no wave relied on very simplistic themes, monotonous hypnotic themes too. So that's why I really like that. And there's other aspects of the soundtrack too, that are really cool, but yeah. Really interesting like- though. I never knew any about any of that. That's, that's tight. Yeah. And that's something that I've never read any confirmation of, but I'm just going to go out on a limb because if you, ever, you, when, when, if, and when you watch driller killer, there are punk bands in Driller Killer as well that like have that kind of feeling to them. And so I'm, I'm almost positive that that was what Abel was thinking of when he had that band. Weird. Okay. There. Um, that being said, <laughs> there's a bunch of things I want to talk about that in scene. Um, for one, it always cracks me up to see the baseball head person in the party. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just like bobbing along in the background yeah he stands out he stands out remarkably <laughs> that and the doofus boss is dracula or whatever that i don't know what what about that really which is funny. funny and i don't know why i i because i had i've watched this movie a few times and i i, I kind of forgot about this that i forgot that her boss 
gets it at the end like he's the first victim of the party but <laughs> earlier in the uh the movie i kind of made a comment about how i also think it's funny because like he you know he's he's freaking out on his his seamstresses about some like you know pretty probably inconsequential detail and they i put would, uh three buttons on this thing that should have had four i think it said right and for some reason like that scene reminds me of a Mr. Show sketch in particular, but it reminds me of just this, this stereotype of like the gay fashion designer that just like is very high strung and, and a perfectionist is like, ah, you know, like, man, you know, it's like (laughs) the clothing is life. And, you know, (laughs) it's, but anyways, but I was like, uh, so I kind of made that comment and I was like, Oh, I forgot. He's, he's, (laughs) I don't know. I'm assuming he has um, what would be considered a, uh, a pansexuality to him. <laughs> I feel like he, he strikes me as being that type of person. So, you know, and obviously like it's, you know, you get the impression that something's going to happen later in the movie when um, there's the scene where all the seamstresses are um, ogling the two, the couple across the way fucking. And he kind of like, you know, joins in and then Fana like gives him that look like, yeah, you know, like, you're going to get yours next. So there's this kind of, there's this body language and eye language that's being made that they're going to fuck at some point. So he, you know, he, <laughs> he thinks he, you know, he thinks he's going to get, uh, get lucky at the party. And, you know, it, it obviously turns out uh, the opposite for him, but <laughs> I was glad to see him get it too, though. Yeah, well, it's like it's funny because I feel like you kind of like feel at the beginning uh, or early in the movie that, you know, he's not a shitty dude. That he kind of cares about his 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 employees and Thana. But then, yeah, then it kind of like it's kind of that. That's the thing. It's like like repulsion too. again. This movie is one of those movies where it just portrays the spectrum of dude shittiness, essentially. They're like even the quote unquote good ones are shitty. So, yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's like the the layers that's peeled back with him in particular is like, you know, you think like he's, you know, somebody that cares about his female employees and whatnot. But then it just turns out, oh, you know, he's got an agenda, too, that he's going to take yeah, advantage of your motives for sure. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> uh, that whole end scene. That again, you want to talk about more iconic shit, that whole in scene, like I feel like that in scene to me could be the equivalent of the shower scene in Psycho. Oh, my God. Wow. Because there is so much going on in that that I love, like the slow frame rate that's happening as she's moving through the crowd and just, you know, like where it's portraying her deafness at this point of using a firearm and taking out people. Um, I could just watch that whole part forever. And it feels like it goes on for a very, very long time. Um, There are some questions I have about it, but essentially like to me, like that whole scene encapsulates prime. What I like about movies type shit. Um, so it's a great finale for the movie, obviously. The, the strobing light, the colors, you know, the lighting to it, everything like the frame rates, 
that's my shit. Love that part. And I, I just like, I, man, I got a thing for hot women and none outfits killing people. Yeah, she is. Uh, I we've I think we we've, we've said this, but she is like distractingly attractive. She's like stunning, but also um, really like this is a great performance. It's like a really really good performance. Like, fantastic. and again, for, again for somebody that really had no experience in movies. Yeah, that's crazy. So she just was. She was just made for that role. She was just born for that role in a lot of ways. Yeah, she did. A, she's one of the. She is the standout part of it because it it really is hinged upon her. If she did a really shitty job, uh, needless to say, the, the movie would have suffered because of it. But um, yeah, she, did, she, can- she is the reason to watch it. She carries the movie for sure. Oh, another thing I wanted to point out uh, as far as uh, party goer sightings, there is also the Ed Grimley guy. I don't know if you you remember that. Who? <laughs> Do you know who Ed Grimley is? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ed Grimley is one of my favorite fictitious comedy characters of all time, but Ed Grimley was a character that Martin Short played, and you don't like Martin Short, so that makes sense. Um mm. I forgot about that until right now. I was dressed up as a Martin short character. Yes. Oh, okay. If you, if you look up Ed Grimley, you'll be like, Oh, it's that guy. Cause you, you, you know, you've seen this guy. Ed Grimley is like the nerd guy that has his pants. Oh yeah. I see. He's like a pre Urkel character. This isn't a, uh, revenge of the nerds, uh, character. No, that's just, that's 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 a character that uh, that Martin Short developed and um, he played him in Saturday Night Live. And eventually he had his own like separate standalone animation series. Like Ed Grimley became a whole thing. It's like Pee Wee Herman. Yeah, it really is. It does look like that a lot. OK, yeah, it's I do. I do remember this guy from the party, too. I thought that guy was just dressed up as a nerd. No, that's Ed Grimley. He's dressed up as Ed Grimley. <laughs> it's just funny to me as I, I love Ed Grimley. Um, also good because this is part of my bad, but also my good. Um, I don't like that it's implied at one point that she kills Phil the dog. That makes me very sad. But that's the high note that this movie ends on is Phil comes back. He does. Yeah. Yeah. You know? That's the best part. So she didn't she didn't kill him, which is nice because it shows that like that's the thing throughout the movie. You, you see that, you know, her intents probably in her mind are, are, are well-meaning. And she there is like a there's a there is a humanity that's left in her, you know, which brings me to probably one of the final things I want to talk about with the good that also will carry into the bad and the questions is she's talking to the guy that she meets at the bar and he talks about strangling her wife's or his wife's cat and that's what sets her off and so she pulls the gun out on him like oh don't fuck with the cat <laughs> i love that back and forth and then he just ends up killing himself with that badge that's fucking gnarly <laughs> yeah that whole scene is also crazy because that's a, that's one of those that you don't expect but that's the exploitation angle of it in a normal movie that would have never fucking happened yeah so i think that's all of my goods um, I'm trying to see if uh, there's anything. Um, I I also had put that I love a 
good having a bad day movie. <laughs> this is another, yes, yeah, like falling down. Just I actually, a bad day. I actually put that in a lot of ways, this is like a proto falling down. There's so much in it that I mm-hmm. was like thinking of, uh, the, the Latino gang shit. Um, because they, none of them were armed and falling down with any sort of traditional weaponry. Just had like a nope. butterfly knife. Um, and he's just going home after a fucking, well, after a shitty lifetime of illusory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, their right. motives are obviously completely different. But I love, uh, I love a having a bad day, needless to say. Uh, hers is drastically different. Um, and I already pointed this out off the off the top, but I I, I was at first um, thrown off at the at the fact that it wasn't. I I thought she was going to track down those two dudes. I thought the whole movie was going to be her like giving her description, not going to the police necessarily, or going to the police, and then it that being a completely ineffective route, and then her having to take it into her own hands, and then her going to, like, local businesses around her apartment and being like, have you seen this guy? Like, he looks like this. And then her slowly tracking down both of them and killing them. So I was really thrown off when it ha- it literally doesn't do that at all. I mean, she killed right. the second one immediately. Right. Um, the first one, who, which is Abel Ferreira, is the first rapist, right? Yes. Yes, that's uh, correct. He just gets away. And then she just makes the city pay in like a son of Sam way. Uh, just like gripping the city in fear, which I actually I thought that it, I enjoyed it. I I was just taken aback because I was expecting one thing and then got another. But it was um, I still liked it and for like a rape revenge movie or something that is like uh that's the precipice for the movie it's highly enjoyable it's just like yeah. fun to watch which is fucked up to say but it's, it's <laughs> like, like it's not uh uh it's not one of those heavy materials it's not like a i spit on your grave like a real fucking heavy dose of shit it, yeah it's it's a lot more light it's lighter than that um it's yeah fun. And if, yeah, because it's an action-packed movie, and when you have action, you know, choreographed action like that, as opposed to just brutal murder or things like that, which is, you know, I spit on your grave. That's what I feel balances it out to be a little bit more exciting for people, as opposed to just uncomfortable and painful. And I like I spit on your grave because it's it's insane. Um, but it's one of those movies where because of what you were just kind of saying and what I've just said is it's not something you want to watch a lot. You're not like, oh, man, can't wait to watch. I spit on your grave. It's you know, it's it's a hard movie to watch, whereas this movie. Yeah, it has enough excitement and certain, you know, that those adrenaline aspects to it. And the fact that, you know, <laughs> the people you want to see to a certain extent get their comeuppance that you're like, yeah, like I can rewatch this. There's a certain vindication you feel, I guess, throughout the movie, I suppose. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, when we're talking about this, cause I was thinking about just the past few movies that we've watched that we can make these kind of threads and connections. And maybe that's because we just have particular types of movies that we watch that are all like have these underlying currents 
Um, but yeah, you know, like you're saying, there is the connections you can make thematically to falling down. And obviously we just watched the entity, which I said that this was kind of could provide a foil to it because of the, you know, the, the feminism, uh, that is, that is discussed in both movies. And, um, the the vindication or whatever that you know can be gleaned ideally from one of these you know from this movie and um and like all of them up to this point i mean most of the movies we watched i think are violent <laughs> yeah. particularly i was just like looking back to like the the last few movies we've watched and the connections I've tr- tried to make was like we watched maniac we watched assault on precinct 13 we watched falling down uh, and we watched the entity, um, and now this, and there, and all those movies either take place in New York and, or LA also, yeah. both very, very violent places or known to be violent. So, yeah. So there's going to be these inherent, um, themes. I feel like that will maybe come up again and again Absolutely. Uh, and in between. So anyways, so yeah, so is that it? Do you want to talk about bads questions? Sure. Okay, bads. What are your bads? You tell me your bads. Um, you're given no time whatsoever to identify or empathize with Sana before she's raped. I mean, she's raped in the course of the first like five minutes of the movie, so it's yeah. not. Uh, they, you don't. You're not given a reason to care outside of uh it being like a horribly violent act like outside of being uh appalled by it you're not really identifying with the with the character with the character or uh having really known her at all um so there's not much of a character development at the beginning um what well let me interject real quick wouldn't you say, though, that's also similar to the entity once again, because it's the same thing. You know, there isn't a lot of character development between, you know, the beginning of the movie and when she gets assaulted. Yeah, uh, I think it's very it's very similar. But as far as the em- empathy, I guess what I would say is, well, it's one of those things where you're just supposed to, like, by default, empathize with a victim in this, you know, like no one, no one just any everyday person, you know, a woman deserves to be assaulted or raped. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. So yeah. there's just, there is an inherent empathy that you have if, you know, you're not a shitty person, <laughs> but right. I get, what you're, but I get what you're saying. And I think they try to set it up. He tries to set up a little bit, at least with my implying, well, she's very young. She seems to be very innocent. She, she doesn't talk, you know, so she's disabled to a certain extent or, you know, She's not she's not uh, she's not uh, abled in a manner that's, you know, um, I guess uh, uh, what's viewed as just normal, quote unquote, whatever. Anyways. But yeah, so I get what you're saying. But that's that's my that's that would be my explanation or response to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also wonder what this movie looks like if it didn't lean into being like a vigilante movie uh like i almost feel like the character of thana is better served seeking out and killing actual rapists or even wrongdoers on any level instead of just going on a a killing spree that then becomes incoherent because there there's that scene where she tries to kill that that asian dude who's just like making out with his girlfriend on her 
uh, on her break at work. And it's like, that dude doesn't get it, but she was like really gunning hard for it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't from lack of trying. Right. And I guess that's where it, it goes into just, you know, there is a psychotic element to this as much as she is able to, you know, she's able to be calculating to about where, where and when she's going to kill it at a certain point. There still is no, um, yeah, there's no, there's no like, uh, what, what am I trying to say? But yeah, yeah. like there gets to be a point where yes, she's not being selective about her victims. That's what I'm trying to say is it, it's just random. It's just men. Any man, any man that expresses lust or affection publicly or, you know, gives off any sort of uh, sexualized impressions to a woman, they are they are automatically the enemy. That's what I was trying to say. Right. So. And, th- and that's why I think maybe maybe the, the movie could have been better served. Still the same amount of insane violence, only if it was directed properly maybe you would like i don't know you don't i don't at, at no point in the movie am i against her but i i right. certainly uh, when that kind of stuff when the when she almost tried to kill that the asian dude i was like am i supposed to still be on her side at this point like yeah I no really, and i don't think i don't think you are obviously yeah that's the point where that's the that's the point where you're like okay she's taking it too far this is yeah she's She's reached the point of no return, essentially. Yeah. 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 And that, so that's a, a, not necessarily a bad, but more of a, um, I guess I could just put that in questionable. But yeah, I don't really have much bad because overall I really enjoyed it. <laughs> how did you, I don't know <laughs> if you could put this in bad or questionable. How do you feel about the nosy neighbor? <laughs> oh God. I mean, she's good at being a fucking shithead neighbor. <laughs> yeah, she's fucking awful. It really, uh, I have more questions than I do anything else because it's like, how she's like letting herself into her fucking apartment, like unannounced yeah. and shit. Like, she's awful. God yeah, damn. Because it's it's implied that she's the super of the building, you know, of okay, course. I was so she, wondering. I was like, she's yeah. got to be like the super. Yeah, the super or something of this fucking. But she doesn't outside of uh, just kind of given being given that title does not act like it at all. I mean, <laughs> right. He's just more so like a really annoying fucking neighbor. Yeah. And it's surprising. You know, that's but again. The guy in repulsion. You know that he's the landlord. Right. You, you get it. I guess yeah. it's different than a super because a super also lives on that floor and takes yeah. care of the floor. So I, I yeah, they're, they're I just like a difference. Man, yeah. They're just a manager and they're also a tenant. So, but <laughs> it would have been funny to see her get it, but you know, she's not going to get it because yeah, she, you really, yeah, that sucks that she didn't get it. Um, bad, uh, more, just more of a personal bad for me. I pointed out, I hope I never, ever have to be put in a situation where I need to dismember a body in a tub. Yeah, I think um, I, I think for the film's sake, they really glossed over uh, how fucking taxing and difficult that actually would be. Absolutely. Especially Just, for a tiny woman. 
I feel like, and with like a like a, a fish fillet knife, like I, I like, there's no fucking way. Like, yeah, <laughs> just like a bread knife or whatever. Just yeah, just going through it. And, <laughs> and that's the thing too. She doesn't undress him. She's like she's sawing through cloth material and then into flesh. Yeah, she's not getting through bone, like for sure. <laughs> right. No way. But me personally, yes. It's, and it's not so much it's when I say that it's not because of, um, you know, a disdain for murder that I have. It's more the inconvenience. <laughs> oh, my That's God. Tough. Yeah, I think of God, I think of the calculated uh, physicality that Dahmer would go through to fucking take these bodies apart just like in the most methodical way possible i mean he he added down to a fucking science i'm sure uh and i just the thought of it was just it it was part of why he didn't want to necessarily continue because he didn't like the like blood and guts of it. he just wanted like a forever companion so when they kept dying he was like i need to keep replacing them but he didn't i mean he did that out of necessity but god he fucking had to have put there are so many sweaty sweaty hot fucking shitty milwaukee nights that he was sweating away in there (laughs) underwear with like meat cleavers and like pots of boiling fucking skin and shit like oh my he really put it through i mean that's what it actually would look like uh and for the sake of this movie they don't obviously go into the how fucking difficult that would be i love the gurgling of the the meat chunks in the in the bathtub coming back up that was a nice touch yeah it's funny too while you were talking while you were discussing Dahmer's process I, I, li- I could slip Dahmer into every fucking podcast episode <laughs> it's great but you know what i literally in my head had the theme to wacky sax playing <laughs> very much so is it's it's absolutely it's it's a it's a ridiculous thing it is i was visualizing him in his apartment just like you know like you know the the frame rate is like moving uh fast and he's, yeah, yeah, he's just like, yeah, going, just going around the room and then like slipping in a pile of guts and hitting the floor and be like oh Ah, oh, damn, I really hit it hard. I gotta take a, take a load off before I fucking dump this, this crude oil of fucking human into this barrel. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. Um. So, yeah, that's 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 pretty much bad for okay, me. That's good. That's a good bad. That's a good list of bad. I just forgot about the... I didn't even put that in. That That's a very good observation. Yeah, the, she would have... That, that was bad. Uh, a, a bad depiction of what cutting up a body would be like. <laughs> um, questions. One I had in particular was now clearly I know this is because, you know, there's plenty of lonely men out there that are at a bar that will just talk to whatever fucking, you know, meat puppet is near them, <laughs> especially if it's, you know, an, an attractive woman. But I just thought it was funny that, the guy at the bar is just jawing on to her and she's clearly a mute and she's not saying anything back to him. And he's just like, he's, it's, he's not, it's almost like he's not even conscious of her being there. He's just needs something to talk at, but you know, any normal person in that situation would be like, 
you don't talk like, you know, I, I don't know. I just feel like that was that's as funny to me. But again, maybe maybe they maybe they figured that off right off the bat. They don't show it that, you know, they're hanging out at the bar. He starts talking to her. She's just like slips him a note that says, hey, I, I don't talk. So you can talk at me all you want and I'll listen. But <laughs> yeah, he probably found that way attractive. <laughs> right. Um, so. Um, I had this question before I, you know, I totally forgot that Phil came back, but I did write, why does she got to, why does she got to kill Phil? But she didn't kill Phil. So that's a, a, a moot point. Thank uh, fuck. I don't know. I don't really have any other questions. So I have, I have a few. How yeah. many murders are there in New York on any given day, especially in this era? She shoots one guy dead. And it makes the front page of the New York Post like you got to string together a couple of murders before you have like a fucking crisis on your hands. Like she literally kills the one guy and it's like the 45 killer. It's, it's like how many fucking people die in New York? Especially, like that seems crazy. Why is that on the cover of the New York Post already? Yeah, I mean, that is a good point. I guess the only thing I can think of is because if you know anything about the New York Post, you know that it's. You know, it's Rupert Murdoch and it's a sensationalist fucking rag. So if anything, you'd be like, oh, well, they'll just fucking put anything on the front page just to get a sale. So it's like clickbait. It's just like, oh, my God, you know, somebody died. So let's read about it because, you know, that can't even be news in New York. It's like, oh, yeah, somebody died. No fucking shit. Hundreds of people die here a day. <laughs> it's true. You're, and, and you so have Sam point. was on like victim five before that shit was even fucking connected as a thing that mattered. Yeah, um, that is a good point. This I don't I wrote this note and I'm not even sure what I've I fucking it had to have been a scene in the movie. Maybe you can help me out with it. But I just put is addicted to love. Is the Robert Palmer video Addicted to Love inspired by this movie? That's all I put, and I don't know why I put it. I think maybe at one point there's a a modeling scene and or she dresses up with her hair slicked back with red lipstick yes. and a and a and a and a dress. And I think it really it reminded me of that uh, of that Robert Palmer uh, video. <laughs> That's true. No, I mean it might be. Uh, that is a, that is a good point. Yeah, I mean I'm pretty sure it it did precede it. You know, so I think yeah, that. I do. So, yeah. Uh, huh. So there's that weird little tidbit, and then I you've already mentioned this, but it is absurd. How does she become fucking Annie Oakley overnight? Like she's just like an <laughs> expert marksman, like after right. being like a very a very shy and and reserved seamstress turned uh turned fucking murderer. Uh, yeah. So that, yeah, that part is. I could have gone. I could have done like a. I could have gone for a Rocky style montage of her <laughs> at a fucking shooting range or something. Like, give me anything other than she didn't even own a gun before because she's using the second rapist's gun, right? Yeah, he yeah. drops it. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that that part is obviously insane. But for an exploitation movie, that that those are the tropes that come with with such a thing. So those are those are the only questions I had. Yeah, the only thing I can think is, well, she's just so determined 
you know, to like that shot, like you said it, like the shot behind her back to kill that one last guy that was like struggling. Yeah, <laughs> like, she's doing like trick shots. <laughs> yeah. I, if everything was was the way she just blasts that fucking photographer away, which is like boom, 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 and it's like okay, I get it. Like she's right. fucking pretty close to him, and and she's just riddling him with bullets. But then it becomes very much so a a. I mean, she at the end. And the, at the Halloween party, I mean, it is like shoot the fucking kill. Like one shot, one kill for almost everyone. Yeah, she's just picking them off like nothing. Fish in a barrel. Fish in a barrel for her at that point. She's like 12 murders deep. Okay, that's that's it. I think we got for that, uh, that whole portion. So you want to move on to uh, the uh, awards and categories, my yes. friend? Yes. So we got our uh, Spot the Dick award for this one and of course uh if you are just now tuning in that is our award that goes out to basically uh a character actor character actor or that guy that we see in a movie uh it's in reference to the late great mr dick miller who was in hundreds of movies and always did a phenomenal job in during his five to ten minute little appearances in every movie that he was in so he's he's like the quintessential that guy. So for this movie, I did spot myself a dick. Did you, Pat, also in fact spot yourself a dick? I did, but given my explanation earlier of not knowing people's names, either uh, characters or actresses, it was hard for me to figure out who the fuck she was. That's why I already pointed her out earlier. It's the coworker with the short brown hair. If it's oh. Dar- Darlene Studo, uh, who plays Lori, then that's who I'm talking about. But I'm not exactly sure. I looked at the cast list, and there's only three people on this cast list where you, that you can even click on to learn more about. So um, <laughs> I, shitty enough, I have to – I'm going – it's not shitty that I'm going with her, but I, I feel bad that I don't even know her fucking name. But she, for me – did so much with so little. I I fucking loved her in this movie. I every time she came on the screen, I was like, "Fuck yeah!" After she gave it, when she called that guy a fucking wimp, I that she was like Hall of Fame, Midnight Flicks Hall of Famer for me in terms of the Dick Miller category. She fucking nailed it. And and like you said, she's got to just be like a, a fucking Abel Ferreira f- a friend or something because she's just got no filmography. <laughs> Yeah, well, I feel like this is a circumstance where it's not necessarily that that that, that actress is a Dick Miller per se, but a, she could have been a potential Dick Miller. Yes, yeah, obviously. So she's like, whereas Dick Miller is in a hundred things for five minutes, she's in this for five minutes, but fucking murders it. Like it just is absolutely. It's so good. Um, yeah. That, so I'm I'm gonna go with her, even though it's an untraditional. <laughs> Dick Miller, but yeah, That's he had very much so the potential to be one. That's good. I I like being able to christen someone as a potential Dick Miller just from their uh, their scant performances. Yeah, who'd you have? Uh, I had Jack Thibault. Jack Thibault is the guy at the bar that she's oh, talking. Oh, okay, okay. He was in Escape from Alcatraz, Lethal Weapon, The Hitcher, Apocalypse Now. He's, He's in actually- the Hitcher. Is he just like one of the sheriffs? Yeah, he's one of the troopers. Damn, okay. Fuck yeah. So, so that guy actually, he was one of the few 
people in this movie. He's the only one actually that actually had quite a career up to that point. Yeah, that's wild. Damn. So, so he must have been, you know, maybe living on hard times or her, you know, just, well, you know, wasn't able to cut uh, quite catch a break at that point, point and was like, oh, OK, yeah, I'll, I'll act in your rinky dink little fucking exploitation movie. Sure. Yeah, damn. And that's a small role, too, that he had. Yeah, it is. Um, as far as Bill Paxton goes, same. He'd also be it'd be that guy, I guess. Well, although I guess if it's not him, then it'd be one of the rapists. Which, oh but God, I, I don't want. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like I don't want to put him there. You know? I, I said uh, the boss. I thought he'd be a really dickhead, good dickhead boss. That's true. That's good. Yeah, I mean, with one of these movies where the the male roles are so few and far between. You know, you could kind of plug him into anything, I guess. I could also see him. I hate to be like, we're going to come up with a category and then we just name 16 different fucking things. But I could also see him as either the bodega guy or the <laughs> photographer um, making out in that in that cafe. I could, That's that, true. He could have harnessed his uh, his uh, <laughs> um, not total recall. That we we talked about it um recently it's the uh, true lies he could have yeah. harnessed his character in true lies like that <laughs> shitty used car salesman character i could i could see him in that movie really spooking her and her fucking murdering him no that's funny actually that you mentioned i didn't even think about that he would have been good as the rock the rockabilly dude outside the bodega because you know he's played you know those Plenty of those shit, shit, shit ball yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah, shit kicker, greasy hair, motherfucker. Let's get into that. We'll say the, right. the rockabilly uh, bodega guy. That's better. You're right. I like that. Okay. Um, body count. So I, I, I fucking wrote it down because I always forget this part. I wrote it down in my notes and then I forgot to look up what the body count was. Um, so I don't oh, know. Shit, I was I was uh, very curious to hear it because I almost always um, I almost always look it up. Yeah, uh, this, this time I I did not keep count, nor did I'm I gonna, look it up. Okay, I'm gonna, so I'm gonna, I just looked it up, and it says thirty three. Could that be possible? Yeah, I mean that makes sense because there's rockabilly guy there's the burglar there's all the, the, the party is where the it really racks up i would imagine then right there's also the the circle of gang members so that's like <laughs> 10 right there i think there's the chic and then there's the party and her boss but 33 that's a that's a fucking i believe that's, it that's an ass ton yeah it really escalates there at the end yeah, that's our. It's hard to. Well, um, it gives me a chance to always talk about Waterworld, which is still <laughs> at the, rain, the top. Sixty-seven. Jam. <laughs> jam. Sixty-seven. I might just watch that tonight and put the whole family through hell. It will just like never not be funny to me that that of all movies that we watch is the one that has the most body count, <laughs> most the most dead in it. <laughs> Whatever. It's just constantly gotta... dying. Like there's so many smokers. Let's not go down a fucking water world hole. Yeah, again. Stop right there. I'm gonna <laughs> don't, stop right there. Get me started. Let's let's get through this because we're actually making pretty good time. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, trifecta so for me the trifecta here um if i wanted a perfect trifecta um i could have picked 
a more spread out one. But a perfect trifecta for Mr. Ferreira for me would have been King of New York, Bad Lieutenant, and Body Snatchers. So um, I will have to just um, go with whatever your opinion on it is because um, I've, this is my only my third movie that I've seen. So, um, yeah, I, I yeah. can't. Don't have an yeah. opinion. Yeah, so I haven't seen his adaptation of, um, you know, Attack of the Body Snatchers in a long time, but I have seen it. And I remember it being pretty good. I saw it when I was a kid. Uh, oh, so I did that, not know he he did one. It's not the one with yes. Jeff Goldblum, is it? I'm pretty sure, yes, it is. That's his? With uh, Donald Sutherland? Yeah, let's... Uh, let's uh, confirm here it is yeah i'm pretty sure it is it's the one that came out like in the early 90s late 80s early 90s oh no i'm thinking of the one so the one i'm thinking of is in the 70s oh yeah 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 like i said it's just it's an adaptation it came out in 1992 the 91 because meg tilly is in it i remember uh, jennifer tilly's uh, sister is in it that is correct i remember the i remember the 90s version um because of that because i fucking love meg tilly yeah damn so i've seen four of his i didn't even know that i had seen that um yeah damn cool I, i agree with your um and I think Arlie Ermy is in it, from what I remember. I fucking I thought I remember him being in it. Anyway. Yes, yes, he is. Is he? Oh fuck yeah. Yep. Yeah, I gotta watch that again. Um okay, cool. I I thought I think you're right on point then, because I, I remember liking that movie. That that's a strange movie that gets um remade every like ten years. Yeah, it's right. So strange is that there's the fifties version, obviously. There's the seventies version with uh Goldblum and Donald Sutherland. There's the 90s version, Abel Ferreras, and then there was that one called The Invasion with, um, I think, Nicole Kidman's in it. Yeah. Um, that maybe 2000s, that it, it was okay. But they keep making they keep making that same movie. They don't even change it, really. It's like the same fucking thing over and over and over again. Yeah. I don't know. If they make it another one, we're actually due for one. I would go watch it because I love that premise. Yeah. So, and again, it just shows that he he is a versatile yeah, director. That really, it really does. It speaks to his versatility. It, it, I'm uh, wow. I'm coming away with a lot more of an appreciation. <laughs> That's good. Oh, by um, the way, I just found an actual body count video that counted the fucking body counts, and okay. I fast forwarded to the end. It's eighteen is the total. Okay. Well, that you know, that's fine. You know, that makes sense too. So, Waterworld is still. Ch- <laughs> By, by by a long shot. Yes, it is. Continue. Uh, um, yeah. So that to me, and all all those movies are great. And when you do finally watch Bad Lieutenant, I'm sure you will love it. If you like Miss Forty Five, you will love Bad Lieutenant because it's it's in a lot of ways it's in the exact same spirit. Zoe Lund's in that as well. The funny thing about Bad Lieutenant is actually I didn't know this until fairly recently because the aesthetic and like the way it's shot and everything like that. And maybe it's because like I've watched it only on my VHS copy um, is more similar to those early eighties Ferrera movies than his nineties movies. But it actually came out after uh, King of New York, which King of New York to me 
is a higher it feels higher budget so i don't know if like what happened was abel you know he went with more of like kind of a big budget kind of feel movie um with king of new york and he decided to kind of go back to more of his old style and you know kind of change the way it was shot but i actually didn't know that i always thought that it was before king of new york and then like um i think what um where I, I discovered that it wasn't was I listened to that rewatchables. Uh, it was that series that they did with Quentin Tarantino. And he talks about King of New York and how much of it's one, like one of his favorite movies. Yeah. It's the one, it's the trifecta that they do. It's one of the three movies that he chooses to talk about his, the three <laughs> movies he picks are fucking bonkers. Cause it's unstoppable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then King of New York, and then I, I can't remember the third one for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, that's that. Well, I I was already sold long ago when I just heard Harvey Keitel Dong. I was like, oh okay, yeah, please sign me up. Oh yeah, he 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 hangs hella dong in that movie. Um, my old band World Eater that I was in with Brits and John and all those guys uh, on our demo. There's a, a song that has samples from Bad Lieutenant. Oh, no, really? Yeah, I thought we were going to say you wrote a song called Harvey Keitel Dong. I mean, <laughs> there's still time. Dong. There's still time. Get them uh, back together. <laughs> yeah, I'll just get get that band back together just, just to write a song. That one song. <laughs> Guys, I think it's time to time yeah, to getting the band back together. Get, get the band back together. <laughs> exactly. Blues Brothers, a fucked up Blues Brothers. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to slide real quick to home here because this movie, surprisingly, I mean, well, it's not surprising because there's a mute character in it, is pretty sparing in the quotes department. But man, the one that I picked, it's like really just out of the park. Um, and then we'll go on the wiki wormhole, which also I think it's just because maybe there's there should be plenty of good trivia to this. But I just didn't dig very deep for it. Um, mm. It's like there's not a lot of surface bullshit Internet search uh, trivia. And a lot of it's also just kind of tucked into like us talking about the good good the bad and the questionable but anyways um quotes the one quote i'm sure you remember it it's the bag lady um this is mumbling to herself and she just says don't know why they want to persecute me because i don't like to talk to women or i don't talk to women all women do is laugh and sing and say the word pussy you ask any doctor and he'll tell you that (laughs) yeah that is a (laughs) Bonkers line. <laughs> like the true ramblings of a fucking nutball. Yeah. I love it so much. So yeah, that's really it. And then other than you were talking about the the one woman just going off on the photographer. Oh, yeah. Fuck off, get fucked, you fucking wimp, get bent. <laughs> yeah, that one's sick too. Um and uh well, and then there's one real quick one at the party where the boss introduces Thana to somebody, a party goer, and says her name. This is Thana, and the, and like uh, he's he replies, "Is that Greek?" And he says something like, "You know, it is if you want it to be here or whatever." Yeah, I don't yeah, know. yeah. I do remember that one too. That's funny. Which that which that brings Thana, the name Thana, brings us up to the the wiki wormhole. There's only a few things I have, or a couple actually. Actually, I have a few that I uh, there's some that I didn't write down that I can talk about. Um, but Thana, this is really cool actually to me, um, and just really you know gets you into the thought process of Abel Ferreira. Um, Thana is reminiscent 
of the Greek god Thanatos, Freud used the word to refer to the death drive, a subject's internal drive to return to an inorganic state. So that's Abel's little nod to the god of death. Yeah, that's super right. tight. That is super cool. Uh, also, and this is funny because I thought she was, I thought this was different. And this is where he, I feel like you got to be careful when you talk about Zoe Lund in context of this movie. She was only 17 when she made this. She was real young. Are you shitting me? Yeah, I thought she was 19, but um, yeah, she was she was a kid. What in the fuck? That is <laughs> wild. I know, right? So that brings me to talk. I want to talk a little bit more about Zoe um, because, again, I want to know more about her because what I do know about her, she's really cool. She was a musician. She was an actress. She was an activist. I looked up some of her. uh, There's a website dedicated to her. It's like it's some real like crude website that I think was just made by one of her family members. GeoCities website. Yeah. But it has pictures of her at all these protests and somewhere she's getting carried away by the cops. Damn. And like she's real young, she's like a teenager. Um, uh, she was also a very vocal advocate for the use of heroin, which she ultimately succumbed to at a pretty early age. She died when she was thirty-seven um, from an overdose. Um, but um, yeah, she's just really cool. She's like, um, like, like, and you can tell in her features, she's like from like Estonian and like Finnish descent. So she's got those very, you know, distinct Slavic slash nordic features to her <laughs> yeah it, and she <laughs> i i did see that she overdosed at 37 it, it just feels like it, being in this movie at 17 it just feels like she lived a, a full life by the age of 37 like she just feels like she was born at the age of 20 and then right. lived her whole life just a million miles an hour Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I mean, it's it's unfortunate that she had to go so early, but I mean, she, you know, she left her impact and whatever. So that's cool. Um, oh, yeah. The other thing I want to talk about. Um, so. That last scene, the party scene, um, when she turns on the band and she shoots the one lone guy that's he's like the piano player or whatever, mm-hmm. if you remember that, that is the composer of the soundtrack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. That's uh whatever his name is, Joe Joe Delia. Deal, Deal, apparently, yeah. yeah, apparently he had a band with his brother. It was called the Delia Brothers. I don't know anything about him. I was like starting to kind of look more into it recently. But they like were a band in the 60s and it was like a like a jazz psychedelic band or something which makes sense. But um yeah. So that's that's it. That is Damn. all. That is all that I have for the uh, little tidbits, little nougats. These uh, uh, these independent movies are a lot harder to research, and especially the older ones that aren't in the the time of the internet, where everything gets every minute detail gets fucking posted. So, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Like, I actually I've had this Abel Ferreira uh, biography for years that I just haven't read, um, and I've been meaning to. So I'm sure if I read that, that I would find out more, and you know, maybe I'll maybe i'll fill in some more details at a later date but that's all i got for right now great um okay so we're gonna rate this bad boy uh bad lady bad gal bad girl whatever um bad non-gender specific gender (laughs) fluid (laughs) gender queer 
uh, movie. Um, uh, what? What? I I know that we're probably going to agree on this. What kind of iconography do you want to rate this out of five? But I'm pretty sure we're going to agree. Um, some amalgamation of the nun, just the naughty nun kind of shit. Uh, what, what were you thinking? The gun? That, the, I know that'd be so obvious. No, that was it. I was going to say out of, out of five blood spattered nun habits. Oh, good. good. <laughs> what would you assign this, Pat? Well, first I, uh, I would say that this would be like a one or two o'clock if we're doing the midnight. It is recording. You want to say something just so I see if hello. Okay, you're you're there. Um. Okay. So yeah, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty there, and we're back. Anyways, so like I said, we it's good. We're in agreement on this movie, more or less. I'm glad that you've come around to Able, and hopefully, we can talk about some of his other stuff in the future because there's other things that are very cool that I feel are apt for the format that we're dealing with here anyways. So this brings us to the part where we talk about what the next movie is going to be, but here's the catch is this is the end of what is our official first season. And we have decided we're going to take a little break and, you know, reboot this. And we, well, I have, I'm, I'm assuming you're in agreement that we talked about just coming back in October and just right out of the gate, just talking about, you know, maybe Halloween movies we like specifically. What do you think about that? Yeah, I would, I would describe it less of a, if this is the conclusion of the first season, I would describe it less of a second season and more of a foray into um, like a, 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 a a special, (laughs) A special October event where we do a podcast every week um, based around a different thematic uh, horror uh, concept. Yeah. And then season two would pick back up um, either at the very end of the year or the very beginning of 2021 uh, where we just pick up the same format we've um, we've had here and just do a new round of movies that we pick on and off because I feel like this is a successful format. Yeah, no, I like that idea. Yeah, maybe that's good. We'll just do an October rock block of of movies. A Midnight Flix special event. Yeah, I like that idea. That's good. Um, I know we had tossed around the idea of maybe doing an X-Files thing, but who knows if that will manifest. But I'll tell you what. You know, I would be stoked to to do something of that nature, maybe in the near future. But I told you, though, I'm only doing X-Files if it is a episode by episode breakdown. I will only tackle it that way because it is too heavy for me to even attempt to pick like my favorite, my favorite fucking monster of the week episodes, my favorite uh, mythology episodes, my favorite heavy hitter fucking alien uh, abduction shit uh so i don't know okay we'll ever get to that 
so whatever. But yes, that sounds good. We'll we'll do this. We'll do the special Halloween uh, program for the month of October. And then, yeah, we'll talk about coming back again. Full swing either sometime after that, soon after that, or even in 2021. Um, yeah. And I think that's good too, because not only will it give us some time to kind of research more about, you know, what we want to do, but to kind of gauge the climate of things, because I feel like who knows, you know, again, like we've talked about, you know, listening to podcasts is not a thing that people are doing as much these days because a lot of people are out of work and they're also their, their minds are elsewhere. They're stressed out, obviously why, you know, so, um, cool. Well, I'm excited nonetheless to talk about movies in October. Um, yeah, I know we'll, we'll hammer out the, the uh, nitty gritty details on that. We just have a general concept as of right now. Cool. All right. Well, that being said, we'll uh, tie a bow on this one and uh, and slide into home. Okay. The, the end of season one. That's like the Nat Geo music, I think. It is. <laughs> This has been another deep dive into Midnight Movie Madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for providing our intro music. Our outro music this week is once again provided by the fine folks at Iron Long Records, and it is the band Hurana. Hurana. I hope I'm pronouncing that. Recently, I've been trying to brush up on my Spanish Espanol again. So, um, yeah, check them out. They've got a new record that they're dropping on Iron Long Records. Uh, if you are a band looking to submit a song or a listener looking to submit a question, feel free to shoot us an email at midnightflixpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at midnightflixpod. Um, obviously, like we said, that you know we'll, we'll be back till October and we don't get any emails anyway, so, and only weirdos and bots spam us on Instagram. So, but whatever, if you're one of those people that finally want to talk to us and you know (laughs) chat with us then you're more than welcome to do that um for this episode i am your host adam walker and uh as always my co-host patrick mitchell has been with me and we'll see you in october the best time of year for real so excited